Have no fear of missing out. The show's about FOMO. Your host is Brian Franzo. I'll tell you what you don't know. And now, your host, iSocial Fans. What's up, FOMO fans? Welcome back to another episode of the FOMO Fans Podcast. As always, my name is Brian Fanzo, founder, CEO of iSocial Fans. And on this episode, guys, we're going to do something a little different. Um, I have I spent about 20 hours doing research. Uh, I won't even say research. I've been, I've been studying. I've been taking notes. I've been watching. I've been listening. I even listened to a podcast about this. Uh, I'm really going to break down and share my th- thoughts and take around the Fire Festival. Um, for those of you guys have watched the documentaries or you remember what was going on in 2017. Uh, and I'm really going to try to break this down from a standpoint of wh- how I looked at it, what I was consuming, but even more so direct business examples of things that we can learn from, not only from the festival itself, but really what the documentaries documentaries highlighted. And then I'm also going to talk about the documentaries themselves because um, I was, uh, not only was I insulted by some of the the, the take or the spin of the documentaries, but I also felt there, um, there needs to be someone speaking back about this or kind of calling this out. And I think unfortunately in this world we're living in right now, so many opinions for people are agenda based. Um, and I, and I think that's unfortunate because, you know, we as marketers, um, oftentimes can see through that. We can see through, um, why people are talking about one thing or why people are doing things. I mean, we had the Gillette ad, um, that just recently happened. Um, and there's, and there's always seems to be an agenda behind it. And I would say, not always an agenda behind the brand, but oftentimes an agenda behind the strategy or even an agenda behind people's take. And I'm going to try my very best uh, on this episode to not sh- not be agenda driven, more of me kind of just calling a spade a spade, putting things out there that I saw. But I'm also going to share my thoughts on where I thought um, people are highlighting wrong. I mean, let's face it, this festival, the fire festival for what it was, was a shit show. I mean, it was a shit show and it was run by a con man that is an experienced con man that had pulled off multiple cons before. But I think weirdly enough, people are using this as the, uh, or highlighting this as the norm or highlighting this as, yep, those damn millennials, or that's why influencer marketing doesn't work. Or here we go again, shitty social media. And I want to take it away from that. I want to say, what can we learn from these, this experience, this, this problem that happened, but also this is, this is a, this is a major mistake. This is a major uh, catastrophe, but at the same time, it's something we can learn from. And it's just one bad apple, right? There's plenty of good examples. And that's really where I'm going to twist and take this. But for those that really aren't familiar, I'm um, quickly, you know, the Fire Festival um, was an event that happened in 2017 um, in the Bahamas. Uh, it was kind of promoted in 2016. Uh, it came to fruition from this guy named Billy McFarland, uh, who the documentaries kind of highlight and, you know, to fast forward, he was ended up being sentenced to jail for six years on fraud charges, and I'll get more than that. But he collaborated with Ja Rule, the rapper, and those that are, uh, you know, went to high school in the 90s. Uh, ja Rule was uh, one of the big rappers in our day. But Ja Rule and Billy McFarlane came together um, and with this idea of launching a festival in the Bahamas that no one had ever done before. But the reason, and I want to break down lots of different things here, but what had happened is they launched this festival, but really 
They had no idea how to pull it off. They lied and scammed people out of money. Uh, people ended up flying down there. When they got there, it wasn't anything like they thought it was. There was They were using disaster recovery tents instead of the villas that they had bought. Um, they used uh, influencers and models to shoot this promotional video. Uh, they paid people like Kylie uh, Jenner um, $200,000 to promote uh, this uh, event on their uh, Instagram channel. But ultimately, the, the big thing about it was... Um, it, it just didn't happen. It was a failure uh, across the board. You know, the musicians backed out. The event really never happened. Uh, people got scammed out of their money. The locals that were working there got screwed out of all the time and money that they were working on. Even the investors, $20 million worth of investors were screwed out of it. But I want to take a step back and I want to kind of start over from, you know, kind of looking at this. And just to put it in perspective, I watched the Netflix documentary that came out uh, on on this event. It was about an hour and a half documentary. And the documentary was actually done by Vox and Jerry Media, which Jerry Media, uh, which is better known as Fuck Jerry, uh, is was the agency that was hired by um, Fire Festival to uh, put on this event. So they, they were the ones that did the documentary on Netflix. Uh, and then I watched the Hulu documentary, which Hulu put on this documentary themselves. Um, they actually paid Billy McFarlane, uh, the con man, to be um, on the documentary, which some people said is kind of like an ethical dilemma. Uh, I didn't really have a problem with the fact that they paid him. It was part of um, the documentary. I mean, hearing directly from his voice and he's sitting in this chair by himself and he's he's blankly staring into the camera and his tone and um, he's definitely like a, a true scam con artist. Um, that documentary is very interesting, although um, I'm going to talk about at the end of this podcast, the documentary, the Hulu documentary, in my opinion, was extremely agenda uh, driven, was extremely biased and also, um, you know, to me came off very um, derogatory, ill-willed um, and bashing of what they didn't know. But any, the, the reason I'm, I will get to that in a minute, but so these two documentaries came out um, last month uh, or this month uh, and it was Hulu came out the same within a few days, the Netflix documentary came out. So I watched the Netflix documentary, started taking some notes, watched the Hulu documentary ended up having to pause it about 20 times because I was getting frustrated and animated and just um, disappointed a little bit in it. And I took notes during the Hulu documentary. Um, I then decided to go back and like read some blog posts, go back and look at the, the, some of the um, tweets and things that have been sent out uh, via the event itself. And then I took a stab and said, I want to watch the Netflix documentary again and the Hulu documentary again, but this time completely from a business sense, take my emotion of the event out, the emotion of the documentary out um, and I took a bunch of notes around the, the event itself and what people were talking about and then I kind of compared that to what I could read online and so I'm going to try to break this down um, first I'm going to talk about the business lessons for this event some of the things that were really good that haven't been really highlighted um, and some of the things that were really bad but if you twist them or you understand why they were bad you can still take lessons learned on it and then at the end of this, uh, this episode I'm going to talk a little bit about the documentaries as a whole and really where I think um, they went wrong and where I think um, we can learn from that as well. So first, let's just, you know, kind of talk about the business lessons of, of the Fire Festival and, and put this in perspective. What, you know, for those that don't realize this is 
Billy McFarlane and Ja Rule were launching an app and they were creating an app to book elite talent called the Fire app. And the Fire app was going to help people book celebrities or musicians for their birthday parties, their um, their weddings. And so you could get on this app and you could book your, you know, I, my favorite artist is Dave Matthews, right? I could book Dave Matthews to come to my wedding or to my uh, my birthday party. And that's what the, the premise of this app was built for. And Honestly, the premise of the app sounds kind of genius. Uh, I think there is a massive disconnect when it comes to booking talent and figuring out how all of those things work. Also, like the legality behind it. Also, for the bands and and those that are doing it, how they can make all the work. So, like, there's a genius behind the app that was being created. And I would even say there's even a second level of genius is that when they were thinking about promoting this app, when they were thinking about how they could get people to understand this app, they decided, hey, what we should do is we should throw a festival that would that would be the Fire Festival. And ultimately, this would be part of our marketing of the app itself. And it would help us grow the Fire brand so that when they launch the app itself, that the, the two of them could kind of you know, play off of each other. And I have to say, this is genius. This part of it is genius. If you think about it, they have an app that is, you know, really trying to market towards those people that want to hire, you know, to create an experience and you want to hire talent to come to your experience, why not create a festival that brings talent and people together and you kind of have like an offshoot of the app, but you can also build one of the two off the brand. And, and I think, you know, for so many brands that are out there, they think about selling and they only talk about the, the their product. Or if they have a new app, all you talk about is the app itself. But to build a brand, you also have to create kind of a culture around this. And Billy McFarlane, who was the founder of this, you know, he, he started this other uh, product or this company called uh, Magnesis. And Magnesis was a what they called a millennial credit card, which I don't even like the term millennial credit card. But they had a credit card that was um, that would use your existing credit card. But as you use this Magnesis card, it would give you exclusive benefits, but it would also give you access to this community and this this uh, this loft uh, townhouse in New York City. And it was all about personalization, exclusivity and giving people more for the money they were already spending. And so Billy had launched this, this credit card, um, you know, uh, this credit card that had been really successful or quote unquote, really successful. And then they were working with Ja Rule on this app and they decided they wanted to start and launch this festival. Now, first of all, the idea of the festival is genius. The idea of linking these two is genius. One of the things I think they first made one of their biggest mistakes was they wanted to do it in a short time frame. And I don't remember what the exact number was, but like eight months or 10 months uh, time frame, they wanted to create this event. Then they decided they wanted to have this on an island in the Bahamas, which not only is that uh, you know, adding more difficulty, but now you have to go out of the country. Now you have to go to a, an area that doesn't have great connectivity, doesn't have great running water, all of those type of things. And so I think the idea itself was genius. The first mistake they made was trying to have this a massively short timeline and nobody really talked about why they had such a tor- short timeline. I'm not sure if that was part of the, the scam that Billy was running, but I think that was a major mistake they made. Uh, you know, the second major mistake they had made was you know trying to do that in a remote island. The third one was they're not event people, right? Ja Rule is an, was, was an artist uh, and a rapper and Billy, Billy McFarlane for what he was, he was uh, you know being known as an 
entrepreneur, venture capitalist that had launched some things that had some good investors, but neither one of them were event specialists. So not only was it going to be impossible to turn out an event short in that short amount of time, but they would needed to hire true event professionals and do so with 18 months or two years worth of lead time to launch this kind of event. So these type of things were, I mean, these were ultimately the funny part about this whole thing is those mistakes on the early end ended up being why the event failed not what everyone highlighted in these documentaries. Documentaries blamed influencer marketing, stupid millennials for spending their stupid money on a stupid experience. They blamed it on the fact that, you know, that there was all of these behind the scene things. They blamed it on pretty much everything other than the fact that really the idea was smart. The strategy of linking these two was smart. It was just the fact that you, A, tried to do it on a remote island, and they even, they even made the claim that they bought the island that Pablo Escobar was on, which was just another lie. But all of these, like, the, the, those were mistakes they made at the beginning that I believe caused the end to be so bad. But the interesting part, and just you know, wrap your head around this, when I, after I watched the documentaries a second time, I sat back and I started asking myself, if they had spent 18 to 24 months creating this event and if they had hired event professionals that were that were good at putting on first time events maybe even in remote uh remote locations how would this entire story have been different because I'm going to walk you through some of the other business lessons and some of them are super successful business lessons that if the, if the final product had been delivered as it was being promised, it would have been, I mean, this would have been looked at as one of the greatest case studies of the millennial generate millennial timeframe as far as digital marketing and social media and so on. So, just keep that in mind throughout this podcast, or even if you go back and watch the documentaries, there is an element of saying, wow, the genius behind this to start off with was super smart. And I, and I would even argue that it didn't become a con until it got further down the line. So first off, that, that, that's kind of how I'm going to paint the picture to begin with. And now I want to walk through some of like the, the business lessons, and, and I have them broken down into subcategories, so I'm going to break them each down for you guys here. And so the first one is collaboration, right? So the, they, they came up with this plan of the festival, but first off, like the fact that they were bringing people together from different walks of life was genius, right? They, they have the Silicon Valley entrepreneur in Billy McFarland. They have Ja Rule, which is an artist that has massive exposure and many connections, and he has a name recognition. And then they also teamed up with influencers, and they teamed up with venture capitalists that also had very good trust and rapport. And so if you're if you're a company or you're an app startup or you're a small business, this is genius, right? This is super smart to, you know, hey, let's combine our forces and not only are we going to have better reach, but we're going to have more visibility. We're going to have more uh, connection into things that are going on. And so this, uh, this I thought was super smart from the beginning, right? The next piece of this that I thought was crazy smart was they hired the best agencies they could. So they went out and hired Fuck Jerry, which is known as Jerry Media, um, who's known for um, making a big splash when it comes to influencer marketing and social media campaigns. Um, they, they've one of the, you know, the best of the best. So they went out and hired them. They also went out eventually and hired a really good, uh, event, uh, marketing agency or an event, um, execution agency. You know, unfortunately the, the event agency was hired 
too far down the line and it was too hard to actually pull off the event. But the other piece of this, so when we were looking at this, they hired the best of the best. So if you want to do something that is crazy, outlandish, and innovative, you want to launch the first festival in the Bahamas and it's going to be tied to your event app and you're going to create this amazing experience, you're going to want to hire the best of the best. And I, and I give them kudos for doing so, right? And like that's part of the thing where I think a lot of brands do this wrong is they want to create an experience they want to um, they believe in the in the in execution they understand what role social media and influencer marketing will play but then they don't invest the money on hiring experts to execute it right they don't hire a great agency or they don't hire a great strategy company to to actually um, execute this now I will say one of the mistakes, the other mistakes that, uh, and I'm going to talk a lot about lots of mistakes that Billy McFarlane made. Um, you know, the guy Grant, who was hired as their chief marketing officer, he wasn't really a marketing genius and he really wasn't an event genius. He was just a guy that threw out a bunch of big ideas. And the more I could read into him, the more I just figured out that um, the guy didn't really know what he was doing. He was just kind of like watching a movie and then deciding what he wanted. He was He was a major mistake in there. But if we look at it and we look at it from a um, you know, this idea of how they started off, they had a, a great strategy, a great idea, and then they went and hired the best of the best. And I'm going to say this out of the gate. I believe what Jerry Media and that team um, executed from a strategy perspective was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, and remember, I'm giving this from a business perspective. The people that got screwed out of their money, the people that, that, that went to the event and got that scammed, I feel bad for you. And I, and I understand that, that that is very an emotional thing. But I'm taking the emotional out of this and I'm saying, what can we learn from a business sense? And the, the execution of the strategy that, w- that Jerry's Media's team had actually done is really, really good. And I'm going to talk about that. I mean, from a social strategy, from an influencer marketing strategy. Now, yes, they they did some things that are that I would say are questionable in, in a strategy perspective, but it was the client that made them do that, not them giving that direction. And sometimes, unfortunately, when you're the agency or you're downstream, you end up being doing things that you're directed to be by the client because you're already invested, you're already part of that team, and that's that's neither here nor there. So they hired the best of the best. They, they decided to collaborate, you know, outside of that arena. They even brought in some event professionals and you know, kind of tapped into that piece. And they really focused on selling the experience. And so the, the, um, the documentary series, the Netflix documentary series, really fought, highlighted a lot of this. And, I'm a, and this is where I'm going to get a lot of this information from. But the documentary series from Netflix really focused on this promotional video that they created, or they called a commercial. I wouldn't even really call it a commercial. It was really a, uh, it was a promo video in which they brought a bunch of the celebrities and they brought a bunch of the models down to this island um, that at the time they were claiming to own and they were claiming that was Pablo Escobar's. Um, little do we learn later on that not only did they not own that island, but that wasn't the island that they were actually going to be on for the event. But that's neither here nor there when I'm talking about this at the beginning is that they that first strategy said, hey, let's throw a festival that will help grow our brand around our app. That's genius. Let's hire an event or let's hire uh, agencies that are the best of the best. That's genius. How are we going to highlight this new experience? We're going to do a video shoot at this location and we're going to provide people kind of like a behind the scenes preview of what they what they're going to experience and we're going to tap into the emotional element. We're going to tap into the fear of missing out. We're going to tap into um, the power of these influencers that are there and we're really going to we're just going to document this on video and we're going to make this video the cornerstone of 
of our marketing around this experience. This is genius. If you want to use social video in 2018, 2019, and beyond, this is genius because it wasn't a sales pitch. It wasn't Ja Rule getting up on stage just talking about it. It wasn't, um, you know, uh, Facebook ads in everybody's face. What they decided to do was to, you know, hire this film crew and create this amazing commercial. And yes, the commercial shows models uh, playing, swimming with the pigs on the, in the water, and it shows the the, the yachts, and it, and it shows this amazing experience. But remember, that's what they were selling, and that's at the time what they planned on executing. And so this video, in my opinion, was geniusly made. It it, it taps into all of the emotional elements of what they are trying to execute execute on the back end and they did so in you know using familiar faces right if you didn't trust Ja Rule and you didn't know who Billy McFarlane was when you saw and recognized some of the famous models or actors or even YouTube creators that were part of this you you started to be like oh I I, I know those people and they're they're part of this you know this promo video uh, I want to learn more about this right and I think that was such a genius play and they did a great job the storytelling in the video itself is so good. You guys should watch the promo video because yes, the execution of what they sold wasn't what that video actually entailed, but the video itself is a great element of storytelling. And it's, it's not talking about the bands that much. It's not talking about the actual event. It, it's, it's bringing people behind the scenes. It's allowing you to say, you know, like, Hey, don't you want to be a part of this? And that's such a great job of, of videoing. And I would also say part of one of the other things that they did really smart was they brought film crews around and they had a film crew on Billy and the, the, the inner circle 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout this process. So they have this exclusive video and that's a Another thing that not enough companies are doing, just documenting everything and because you never know what you can use. And even within that commercial, they use a bunch of documented B-roll film that I bet you if they had just strategically set out to capture the commercial, they probably would have never got that B-roll film. So that's something that we can learn as well from a video creation that is extremely powerful is you know, how do I, how do I link this together? How do I create, uh, you know, bring this whole story of this experience together? And I thought they did an amazing job of that in this, uh, promotional video. If you can set aside the fact that it actually never happened, the, the execution on the back end never happened. And then we take it another step further. So they brought models in to, um, record this promotional video, but then they went a step further and they really tapped into influencer marketing and they made the claim that they actually tapped in to over 400 influencers. Um, and this is another one of those strategies that they did really well is it wasn't just travel influencers and it wasn't just models, but they went after content creators on YouTube. They went after celebrities. They went after musicians. They went after, um, you know, actors. And one of the things that I thought that, that if you look at it, if you look at the list, of people that they use as influencers, I believe the influencer marketing strategy would not have been successful if they had just used one one vertical, if they had just only hired models, or if they had only hired certain celebrity types, or only musicians. Because they went with such a breadth of 400 influencers, that was an extremely smart play because the virality, the, the opportunity for unique eyeballs was right there, prime for the taking. And so the influencer marketing strategy that was built for this project was genius. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the the downsides of this and the things that we should learn 
uh, as a result of the bad side of this, but you have to first look at it and say, okay, well, it was genius that they, they did 400. It was also genius that they went across multiple different verticals. I, every company that I work with from an influencer marketing strategy, I always tell them that you oftentimes, you need people from four different locations. You need a celebrity. You need someone that's a subject matter expert. You need someone that is a thought leader. And then you need someone that is a trusted resource that is, uh, that is close uh, in proximity to the person, which is sometimes your current customer or your fan. So I always say you need four, those four types of influencers in any influencer marketing campaign. And they did that really well. They, they brought in these 400 influencers. The other thing that I thought they did really uniquely was, you know, in the influencer marketing game, just putting a product behind somebody, um, you know, DJ Khalid has a Pepsi bottle behind them. You know, that doesn't really do much. I mean, consumers are pretty smart today. We know when we see product placement that the person putting the product behind them for the most part are getting paid for it. But what they did was they coordinated with all of these influencers to drop a orange tile, just an orange picture on Instagram at the exact same time, tagging the festival. And the when you clicked on the orange tile, it would actually open the promotional commercial video that they had recorded uh, previously. And like this is... I mean, let's think about this from an influencer marketing strategy. This is, if you want to garner attention, you have to do things differently. A blank orange tile on an influencer's account that is usually pictures and videos and, you know, styles or maybe it's uh, music really makes you question those like, what the hell is this, right? It's thumb stopping content, right? So the fact that they did it as an orange tile is first a genius thing, something we all must think about when we're doing influencer marketing. How can my influencers content stand out? The second part of this that I thought was genius is not only did it, was it the orange tile, but every one of those people that posted that orange tile, the, the, the link out and the call to action wasn't a sales page. It was directing them to this commercial video, which that video, then tapped into because if you clicked on the orange tile you're like why do they post this you clicked on it and then the video played and now you're immersed in this experience that you're like ooh why did this influencer share this video so now it's getting you to ask questions and want to learn more and the video kind of plays through and at the end it gives the URL the firefestival.com website and each one of the influencers included the hashtag as well as the website in their um, in their Instagram post which again is genius because not only for many people, and I remember this, I saw the orange tile multiple times because I was following multiple of these influencers accounts. And I was like, by the second or third uh, orange tile I saw, I was like, what the heck is this? And then I clicked on it and I watched it. And I remember thinking like, oh wow, that seems like amazing. Now I, I'm not financially at the place, uh, especially at the time to make that kind of investment, but I was very interested and it led me to their website. And remember, with influencer marketing, part of the genius behind influencer marketing is it's a trusted resource, right? We trust people that look like us. We trust people that are that are human much more than we do a brand, right? If it was just the fire brand logo promoting this, nobody would have clicked on it. And the other part of this is if the influencer just sent you to a stale website that was very disconnected from the experience, that would not have worked either. But if you look at what really worked here, it was the orange tile made it people stand out. It was multiple orange tiles coordinated at the exact same time, which made people really stand out. And then the third part of this is it went to a video that captured the experience. And then the fourth element beyond that is 
it, the ticket prices were a little high and they were also only selling a certain amount of tickets. So now not only did they get somebody's attention, then they captured their attention and then they maintained that attention throughout the video. Then they get them on the website and now it's their job to close them. And the tactics they used to close them was a little bit of fear of missing out, a little bit of exclusivity, but also this idea of if you want to be a part of something never done before, you need to get in on this now. And this is, this is, the, I mean, this is a genius influencer marketing strategy across the board, right? So not only is that smart, but the other part of this that was genius that I think was left off was those models and people that they sent down to the island to create the commercial video, they allowed them to take pictures on the island and they allowed them to create content and, and the influencers wanted to go do these, uh, you know, excursion where they got to swim with the pigs and they allowed them to go do that. And one of the things that I talk about, you know, that you want, we want to learn from this is that how do you work with influencers? And part of the things that I thought they did really well is they gave influencers exclusive access to the event, the pre-party, right? This event that, that they where they shot the commercial. Well, now the influencer feels extra special. They have even more reason to promote the, this event, right? They also allow the influencers to help dictate the experience that the influencer wanted. So now, not only is the, exp- the influencer getting something exclusive, but they're allowing, they, they know that this brand cares about them, right? That the brand is, is taking them and doing things for them that they really want to happen. The other part of this is the influencers were, enabled to be themselves right and one of the things one of the examples where one of the models there at the uh, at the video shoot did the mannequin challenge which we all know the mannequin challenge uh in 2016 went viral where everybody did the you know a video where everyone in the room was was frozen and they did that while at the fire festival right so not only was this about the fire festival but now these models are doing are tapping into a trending topic and a trending movie while being at an influencer an event that is also genius because now it's not just talking about the fire festival but it's bringing people that are tracking the mannequin challenge into understand okay well why are all these models together oh what is this fire festival right so you're you're tying things on beyond the brand and then the other part of this is you, they were very good at, at coordinating and mandating that the influencers were using uh, the hashtags. The influence were tagging the brand, right? Oftentimes, uh, you know, with influencer marketing, you have to keep it simple, stupid. You have to make sure that if an influencer is there doing something, that they know what to tag and how to tag and how things are going to be measured. And I thought they did a great job of doing that. And then the other part of this around influencers is they didn't reward every influencer the same, right? Some, yes, they paid $200,000 for Kylie Jenner to post the, the post. Um, to me, I don't think that'll ever happen again at that level. Um, and that's just asinine for that amount of money. But some people they paid money for, some people they tapped into their network, and then other people, they told them that, hey, I'll bring you to the festival itself and I'll give you a private cottage if you're willing to promote this ahead of time. And I think this is another lesson learned is that not all influencers are created equal. Not all influencers have the same value to your brand and not all influencers should be incentivized the same way. And I think if we start looking at influencer marketing and the lessons learned for this event, we can start thinking, wow, like they did that really well, right? They, they coordinated these 400 people. They all dropped the tile at the same time, but they also um, gave them behind the scenes access. They also made them feel like they're part of the event. They also um, allowed them to kind of get, you know, witness what was in the making. And these are all strategies that 
that are amazing. And I believe it's why it worked, right? It wasn't just an orange tile. It wasn't just because a celebrity did it. It was because it was a well-coordinated effort. It was a strategy with a plan behind it. It had a call to action that made sense. It went to a video. It didn't go to a, la- a, a stale landing page. And then when people went to the website, it was also a very smart landing page website that captured people's emotions of feeling like, damn, I want to be there. Because that's usually a disconnect with influencer marketing where you have the influencer get people's attention. You give them a piece of content that people that their audience is consuming. But when they get to a, a landing page, you kind of drop the ball. You're just selling them or marketing them. And, and I think when you're painting this whole picture together, you have to truly build that, that rapport and that experience across the board. And so I thought this was genius. It was a genius use of social media, the hashtags, the promotion leading up to it, um, showing behind the scenes. Now, now, if we look at this as a whole, this is, I mean, this is where we're working, right? Okay, influencer marketing was what they leveraged to get the buzz out there, to create the, the fear of missing out, really to drive some, some amazing awareness. This is all really powerful, and this is proof that it works. Now, there's some lessons we can take about it that was done incorrectly. Um, there's some advice that we have for influencers on um, making sure that the brands you're working with are people that you trust. But let's, re- let's set this groundwork is that influencer marketing, the reason it works today is not because, you know, and like this is where the Hulu um, documentary really painted a bad picture of influencers. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. All of the brands, most brands, if not all brands, have alienated customers, especially that millennial generation. We, don't, we, we live through the dot-com boom. We've lived through fake news and scammy news. We've lived through people selling unicorns and rainbows. And so we trust people that are people, right? People that, are, that, are, that, are, that we're, uh, we can associate a name with. And we, and we build that. And so here's the thing that to remember in this whole influencer marketing game. I, yes, a lot of these influencers were wrong because they promoted something that either they weren't a part of or they didn't know about. But here's the thing. With great power comes great responsibility, said Spider-Man. We have to, influencers are only influential because of the trust that they have with their community. It doesn't matter the number of followers. Some have more scale of that trust than others. But influence, and and I always have to define this anytime I talk influencer marketing. To be influential is, you don't have to just, you can't just have an audience. You have to have a trust with that audience so much so that people are willing to take action based on your actions, your endorsement, or your connections or what you're doing, right? So someone is influential because of that trust. Now, if you work with a brand or you work with somebody and it it falls on its face, you lose that trust. Therefore, you lose your influence, right? You don't lose your celebrity status. You don't all of a sudden lose all of your followers, but hell yes, the next time you promote something, you're those people that trusted you that time and you violate that trust are no longer going to trust you or they're going to ask more questions. And so when people were, were kind of sharing blame on this whole thing, they were blaming the influencers and talking about, uh, you know, and here's the thing, the influencers are paying for it because their name was associated with something that failed. And now they're not as trusted as they were before they were associated with that brand, right? And I've, I've always said this, for me, there's no brand I will work with if they make me do something that I either I'm not comfortable with that is outside my purview, I will not be a part of that, that program, but not all influencers think that way. And in this world we've been living in, a lot of influencers have made their, their, um, their status. They've grown their brand 
they've been faking it till they make it, right? They were early adopters of YouTube, maybe early adopters on Snapchat and Vine. Maybe they were just, you know, really good at faking things online. And you know what? Kudos to them because on the early days, that's kind of what worked and a lot of people did that. But in today's day and age, if you were to say you're going to be a really powerful influencer, I'm going to start growing your, your audience today, right now in 2019, none of those old tactics work. None of them work. Now you have to be, you have to build trust and rapport through what you do, who you are, what you say, what you don't say, the things that you endorse, the things that you don't endorse. Transparency is much more, um, you know, apparent now. And we're, and people have to be on video. You can't be scamming or selling, uh, you know, claiming things that you're not. And so not only have consumers uh, smartened up, but the way an influencer builds their audience today is much more grassroots, much more organic, much more dialed in. And so I don't want to blame, I don't blame the influencers that did it the other way, but let's just remember once they lose that trust, they lose their power of influence. And once they lose the power of influence, then they lose the amount that they can generate for those endorsements. And so these are things we just kind of have to keep in mind. We also have to remember there's a difference between a celebrity endorsement and an influencer that is someone that is uh, that is trusted by a community. Maybe they host a podcast. Maybe they have a YouTube channel like my good friend uh, Amy Landino. You know, that, that's a different level of influencers and they each have their value, right? Celebrity influencers usually give you word of mouth, give you massive chance of getting exposure, which is what happened in this case. But, you know, there's another levels of influencers that are really powerful at doing some more amazing things at a more micro level. And I think what this event exposed is that influencer marketing is here to stay. It is extremely powerful. It freaking works. This event is proof, but it can also work to highlight someone that's conning on the back end. It can also work for influencers that don't understand the value of trust. It can also work in a, in a way that could ruin an influencer's brand, right? So these are, these are things that I think we have to kind of take into account. And remember, there was venture capitalists and the employees of the company that didn't understand what was going on and they were scammed out of their money. They had no idea that the, the fire festival was a fraud. And if the employees and the venture capitalists didn't understand or didn't have enough information of what's going on, how the hell would an influencer have had that much insight, right? So I don't blame the influencers. I know that their, their trust with their community has been violated. They've lost some trust. They have some things that they're going to have to build back up and that's penalty enough but it wasn't on them to 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 go you know to be blamed for the failure of this event because let's face it they from all that they had access to this event was going to be everything that they were promised and more and i think that's something you kind of have to you know kind of see when we go out there and so that's kind of my take on the influencer marketing um, aspect of uh, of the event and the and the and the selling of it. And so, if you think about it now, they they launched it. They they had this great strategy. They were doing it in a way too short of a timeline. But now they're doing they're they they're getting word of mouth and they're getting buzz. And so they're of course trying to execute it on the back end, um, which is a whole nother piece of it. But I really want to tap into some other the other factors around this because not only were they using social video and they were using um, you know hashtags to promote it and they were really you know trying to highlight a lot of what um, was going on, but they also you know they understood that that if they don't pull this off. 
that it's going to be a massive failure because of social media, right? I would, I would argue, and I want you to think about this, I would argue the risk was also just as high because they used influencers and social media. They, they were risking everything because if it failed, people would be tweeting and blasting it out there immediately, which they ended up doing, right? And, and this is one of those weird things where, you know, think about it for Woodstock, right? Woodstock, if, if social media was around during Woodstock, when Woodstock first was launched, would Woodstock have the same reputation it has today? Or would there have been outrage at the cars that had to park on the highway, the lack of bathrooms and foods, the drugs and the diseases that were being spread around? Well, no, if you think about it, Woodstock ended up being about this freedom experience of people coming together and doing something that had never done before. But the fact that social media wasn't a part of it allowed them to really kind of hide or not amplify the bad and really just show the highlights and show the musicians and, and use it as a movement. And I, and I would say that's when people look at social media and they always say, well, social media is so bad and social media, um, you know, these, all these bad things will happen. Well, here's the thing. If, if there wasn't for social media, the fire festival would have been a shit show. It would have failed miserably, but very little people would have known about it. Right. And so social media not only has great power in the front end, but it also creates that risk at a higher level on the back end. And that's something to kind of keep in mind as we're kind of thinking about the lessons that we can learn from this. The other part of this is I think we have to take a lesson in experience marketing, right? One of the things I thought that they did really well, um, and some of it was scammy, but some of it was just the way they did it, is they were selling an experience. Therefore, part of the experience was you're getting exclusive access to something you can't get anywhere else. And if you guys listen to this podcast, you know that my number one tip for people when they're creating content today, especially video content or story content, is provide access to something that someone cannot get anywhere else. Now, in the Hulu documentary, they were bashing it like, oh, stupid millennials are willing to spend their money on anything um, that will get that look good on their Instagram. And they were really bashing that consumer. But let's face it, today's consumer wants to buy, I, I, I want to spend my money on experiences much more than I want to buy a product, right? I want the experience more than a product. So if you're selling an experience, you need to, be, to need, understand the power of in, uh, experience marketing. And I thought they did this greatly, right? They even talked about, you know, hey, we're going to give you a private plane that's going to give you to the island for this great experience. Well, now that's another new experience. Not only is it this first-of-a-time festival, but it'll be your first time on a private plane. Holy crap, that's another new experience. They initially sold it as you're going to be on Pablo Escobar's island. Well, holy crap, now that gives me something even cooler to be at because I can tell my friends, like, not only did I spend my money to go to this great event that had these great musicians and I got to fly on a private plane, but I was on Pablo freaking Escobar's island. And take it for what you want. Yes, he was a bad, horrible person that did bad, horrible things. But there is an element of like, we, there's lots of bad, horrible things that we want to be a part of to amplify or be connected to or, or highlight. I mean, that's what history is all about. Like every, every time someone takes a picture in front of a monument or a statue, there's an element of bad or good or one side lost, one side won um, to that. So like they tapped into that from an experience perspective, but they also were tapping into experience marketing to really understand their consumer. And I think this is one of those lessons that everyone out there has to kind of has to take a step back. Billy McFarlane is a con man. He sells unicorns and rainbows. He screwed millions of people out, or thousands of people out of their money, out of their time. But one of the things that he really got was it was more important than anything to understand his target audience and provide his target audience with what they wanted. 
He wasn't trying to present this towards the, the baby boomers. He wasn't trying to even present this towards the Gen Z. He wasn't trying to present this towards, the, I would say, the, the poor or the rich. Like he really dialed in on his consumer, and he understood what they wanted, why they wanted it. And he even went as far at one point when um, he wanted to uh, you know, kind of get more money, he went and sold wristbands. And the wristbands where you could put money on your wristband because it was going to be a cashless experience, and you just upload your money to wristband, and you can pay for for all of your things on the, on your wristband. And they said 2 million people, or there was $2 million people uploaded to these wristbands. And to me, this is genius because the, the people that you're targeting that want to buy an experience, they also want simplicity. They want an experience where they fly on a private jet, they get bused to an event, they don't have to worry about money, they just have it on their wristband, they don't have to worry about bags, they don't have to worry about all these things. So if you're going to sell an experience, you have to do things along the way that also enable a good experience. And those wristbands were, were part of it. Now, the fact that he did it because he was he was behind on money and that was his only way of raising money. Yes, that's shady, but you have to look at it from a marketing perspective. And the reason it worked is because that audience that he was already tapping into was already in that, that mindset of getting a part of that, right? Like if your audience was there to buy a product or they were flying there for some certain, you know, like one off, you know, um, thing that you had going on, they're not going to add money to a wristband because that's not part of the value proposition that they're buying into. But the, that, that, that what they were buying into was super important. And the fact that, um, that the team actually knew that I thought was also genius. They also did a good job of tapping into what I call FOMO marketing. And you guys are listening to the FOMO fans podcast right now. So you know that my, you know, my, you know, my take overall on FOMO, but here's the thing. And I'm going to have a full episode. It might be the next episode or two episodes from now. I'm going to do a whole episode dedicated to the dark side of FOMO and why I don't believe FOMO should be used always. And honestly, the reason I created this podcast was to cure your fear of missing out, right? I don't want to invoke FOMO on this podcast. I want to cure it. And so I think people sometimes get that confused. They think that I believe FOMO is, can be used for everything. Now, I think strategically using FOMO has been a marketing tactic for forever, right? Hey, there's only 20 VIP seats left. The reason that you tell people there's only 20 VIP seats left when there's really 200 is because you want to invoke that idea that I have to buy it now or I'm going to be missing out, right? And so they did that at the Fire Festival. They, they showed that the, the general mission tickets were sold out early so people would buy the VIP tickets. The other thing about FOMO when it comes to leveraging it from a social media perspective, when something becomes sold out, it empowers people that are already bought a ticket to feel even more exclusive and more lucky and they're will more willing to advertise and market that than if it's something that anyone can go to, right? If tickets are still available all the way up to the day of the show, someone is a lot less likely to talk about that event or that experience because they just know that anyone can go. But if something is exclusive and they were the ones that got in early, hell yes, they're going to talk about it more. They're going to share it out more. It's going to become much more of a viral thing. And so they tapped into that really nicely. Now I will say they used FOMO for ill will. Um, I also think they they did some things that were really bad around FOMO. Is you know they 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 deleted all of the Instagram comments that were bad. Uh, they even set up a filter on Instagram to where you couldn't ask questions about the event, um, so that they would block people from commenting. Those are all things that are horrible. Um, and and I think you know lying to your consumer is not the same as FOMO. And and I also think with FOMO. You have to know when it works and when it's valuable and when it's not working and when it's, it's stupid. And I, and I will say, 
every one of the people that sell online courses right now, I believe they overuse FOMO. Everyone that sells events, in my opinion, overuses FOMO. I mean, every week, the event, if you don't buy the, t- the ticket now, you're going to miss out on $200 off. And then the next week is $189 off. Like, if you want people to have that fear of missing out, you have to strategically use it, but you have to understand the risk versus reward. And so I'm going to do a whole episode on the dark side of it. I'm going to talk a little bit at some examples. I'm going to talk about when to use it, when not to use it. But I also think they use that fairly well. Now, if we if we bring this whole full circle, right? What what happened was they they created all this buzz. They got all these people to fly down there. The event's a complete failure. All of the bands back out. People can't get their luggage. They don't even have a place to sleep. Um, all of the people that had been working on the project, uh, all of the day laborers that were working twenty four hours a day, um, were scammed. They didn't get their money. Um, the lady who um, ran the the restaurant that was down there that that put up all of the the workers as well as all of the initial people that went to the event. Um, that person was never paid um the car rental places were never paid the rental houses were never paid like these are all like that's just a scam that's just horrible right but there's also a lesson to be learned here on crisis management and i'm gonna have my good friend uh melissa melissa agnes um she's a crisis expert she wrote the book crisis ready um she's actually gonna come on the show um uh, over the next couple weeks and we're gonna talk about crisis management a little bit and how this works with experience marketing we're gonna talk about how it works with um today's social media um she's a really good close friend of mine one of my best friends um but she's gonna talk a little bit about the fire festival as well i made sure that she's gonna watch the documentaries because the way that they handled the crisis around this was horrible they knew that social media was the reason that the event went viral and people signed up. They also knew that people were going to post about it on social media if it, if it, if it failed. But when it did fail, rather than realizing that, they tried to send cease and assist letters. They tried to block people. They tried to, to hide the information. And that, in this day and world, it is, that is mistake central. That, that cooked them. That was, that's what ended them completely because if they would have owned it and they would have put it out there and kind of jumped in front of things and tried to make it right, there was a possibility of them saving face and it not turning into the lawsuits that became of this or even the documentaries that came of it because in today's day and age people want to know that you care about them and they want to be a part of something but when they're a part of something that's bad they want the people that are running that to own it they want them to not only own their mistakes but they want them to publicly put out and uh, and apologize and acknowledge the downside of it and unfortunately that didn't happen and so I'm going to talk a lot more about the crisis management side of this uh, on a future episode but that's just something that I think we have to you know really just be you know sad about when as far as the way that they handled the crisis now the good side of this is i've always believed that there's so much good in this world that if good people are doing good things and something bad happens to them, that good people will rally around them. And so if you guys saw, maybe you didn't see, but Marianne Roll, who was the owner of the restaurant, um, she was she lost hundreds, $100,000 or so of her money because Billy McFarlane and them never paid her for all of the food and the workers that she put out. And after the Netflix documentary came out, the Netflix team helped her launch a GoFundMe account that ended up raising $180,000 as of this moment. So I think it's $183,000 from people, um, even the, the, uh, the agencies, the, the marketing agency behind uh, the event actually donated all of their profits uh, to Marianne to, to help fund her. There's actually a second GoFundMe account that just launched recently um, that's, gonna, that's trying to raise $400,000 for the the workers of the Bahamas that, that also did not get paid, the, the day laborers that were working um, uh, overnight on the site. So there's a second. So I think this is something that, that is another element of good that came out.
came out of, right? The documentaries highlighted the scam, but Netflix did an amazing job of also, you know, kind of humanizing it and saying like, you know, people get duped all the time. And I, and I believe Ja Rule um, played a part in this, but I also believe, think he was conned by Billy McFarlane. Uh, I think the venture capitalists were conned, right? Even a lot of people in the inner circle were conned. And when all these people are conned, the good people that put themselves out there and, and trusted Billy, I love seeing that people are coming together to um, raise money and raise awareness and, and really help these people out. And so I think that is something to be said. It's something that's very powerful and it's something that I love being seen. And so that's kind of how I looked at the business, the true business lessons of this event is that, you know, yes, influencer marketing and influencers need to be better at disclosing their involvement with brands. Yes, uh, influencers can be used to highlight something that ended up not being executed, but there's so much good strategy and so much great information that was that can be learned from this. And I, don't, I think it actually highlights the power of social media, the power of influencer marketing, understanding today's millennial consumer more so than anything else, right? And I think that's something that we have to kind of take a look at. Now, when it comes to the documentaries, um, I believe the Netflix documentary did a great job of using real live footage from the event, um, from all the different people that are on their team, as well as um, different uh, social media people's video to really give you a sense of what was going on. I believe the Hulu documentary focused on interviewing Billy McFarlane and then shifting the agenda and really shifting the blame to blaming influencer marketing, blaming social media, and really bashing millennial generation as a whole. And I'm going to go off a little bit about this. I'm going to try to keep this you know, short. I know this is a longer episode. But one of the things you have to kind of look at is you know, Billy McFarlane, although he was a con man, yes, he's in jail and he should be in jail and he screwed all these people out of money. There are lots of things you can even learn from Billy on why it all worked, right? He was, he's a confident and good sales guy. He understood the importance of documenting everything that he was doing. He hired video teams to document all of these things that gave him great power when it came to marketing and, and hiring a marketing team. He had a trusted, he had a group of trusted advisors around him that gave him more credibility than he deserved, right? Venture capitalists that were investing in him that were, you know, maybe you didn't trust Billy, but you're like, oh, well, if that venture capitalist invested in them, then they must be good, right? Or if that band signed up for them, they must be good, right? And, and the funny thing is, they the, the Hulu documentary bashed the hell out of the influencers, but they didn't say anything about the musicians that signed up for this, that, that signed up to get paid for this event, that promoted it on their website, that, that ended up backing out of the event completely, right? Like, if they were going to blame the influencers, shouldn't they have blamed the musicians just as much as the influencers? But of course they didn't because of the kind of the, the shift or the agenda of, of blaming what they don't understand. And then the other part of this is understanding, you know, today's emotional consumer, right? And I think one of the pieces that I really um, was appalled by, and I think both documentaries um, took a stab at this, is they were making fun of the people that spent their money to go on this experience. And to me, this is, this is a horrible element of our culture, horrible element of our culture. The fact that we are making fun and bashing how other people spend their money is ridiculous because guess what? They earned that money. They worked for that money. They got it through a trust fund. However, they got that money. It's their right to spend it on whatever the hell they want. And it's funny because we, we, we're like, wow, these people were duped. They, they wanted to go on a private island and they wanted to be a part of something new. Here's the thing. 
All great inventions, every great experience, every great movement from Coachella to Woodstock to anything that's ever good that's happened in the world from a standpoint of, of, of crazy innovation, even the, the women's marches or the Me Too movement, it came from people that were willing to do something outlandish, people that were willing to take a chance, people that were willing to put all their chips out there and say, screw it, I want to be a part of something great. And you know what? All of those movements happened and, and were part of the the, the amazingness because people were willing to risk that and you know what unfortunately people were also were willing to risk that to be a part of this event that didn't happen but that's one bad apple the fact that we're willing to make fun of and laugh at how people spend their money you know like i like to say screw you right like i mean when someone tells you know, like I, I owned a home for many years and then i decided i no longer wanted to be a ho- homeowner because i didn't like being house poor and i'd rather spend my money traveling and giving my daughters experiences like taking them to the movies and taking them to the trampoline parks than I did having a house that was a long-term investment because I don't even know how long I want to live somewhere. And I believe everyone has the right to spend their money on whatever the hell they want to. And the fact that we want to make fun of that and saying like, oh my goodness, all these people wanted to go down on this island all because they want to take selfies and put it on Instagram. So what? If that's how you want to spend your money, if you want to spend your money renting an airplane that doesn't get off the ground and take pictures of it and post it on your Instagram, I got no problem with that because you know what? You're faking it. You'll get exposed and that's that's perfectly fine. But if that's how you want to spend your money, kudos to you. And I think making fun of the audience that was there and really labeling them as millennials is part of the whole generational problem. You know, I'm, I'm a proud millennial, but oftentimes I, I, I talk about the millennial shortcomings and things that millennials are doing wrong and things that millennials need to learn. And I often talk about the kind of the disconnect. And this is a massive disconnect. Just because someone spends their money and values something differently than you do doesn't mean it's wrong, doesn't mean they should be scammed, doesn't mean they should be taken advantage of. And honestly, it doesn't even mean that they have a higher likelihood of being scammed or taken advantage of. I mean, every one of the people, like I would argue a majority of the people that were bashing millennials for going on this experience and taking this big risk and and going on this island just to hang out with celebrities are also the same people that invested in the dot-com boom, that were investing in all of these companies to try to get rich quickly and then realize all of a sudden that none of these companies, all these companies were full of crap and the bottom fell out they took just as much risk and ultimately just looked as much foolish as the people that were going on this island and so i think the shaming that existed making fun of how people spent their money i think is is kind of sad and disgusting and i think it's it separates us more um it's why you know most brands struggle at reaching a younger generation if you don't like how they spend their money if you don't um if you don't appreciate that if you're not willing to provide what they want to spend their money on there's no wonder they're not buying from you right they want to and that's something that i mean this is something that's really extremely you know important to to think about i also think you know in the in the in the hulu documentary especially they kept using terms like the millennial social media attendee or billy mcfarland the millennial elite uh, CEO. And when you're putting those terms on them and you're only associating it with the bad, like never once did they say the millennial, they didn't say the Gen X or baby boomer, um, 
lady who, uh, who hosted all the people with the money, right? They didn't put a generation on the good people they highlighted in the stories. They only put a generation on the bad people they highlighted in the stories. And when you do that, it immediately comes across as us versus them. And if you want to learn from things, if you want to create a movement, if we want to make sure that it doesn't happen again, you can't tell people, you can't make it an us versus them conversation. Because I can guarantee you there were Gen Xers there, there's probably baby boomers at this event, and it wasn't just a millennial thing. And if there was a majority of them that were millennials, it doesn't speak for every millennial and the fact that we're labeling and we're putting that 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 label on there and we're using it in such a derogatory term it hurts us in marketing it hurts us in business and honestly it hurts people in self-worth because there are so many people in my community that say that they're embarrassed or shamed to be labeled a millennial and it's this is the reason it's because when something bad happens we label that person as a millennial when something does good how many times do we hear mark zuckerberg called a millennial never Never, never is Mark Zuckerberg labeled the millennial billionaire, but yet he's highlighted as a great leader and doing all these amazing things, yet we don't, lever- we don't attach the millennial to that because that's something good. We only want to attach the name millennial to those things that are bad, and I think the Hulu documentary should be ashamed at the way they presented that, the continually bashing, and then also the takes that they turned on influencers and social media. The people that they got as experts on that, on that show are social media strategists and influencer people that w- w- that don't understand the medium and they want to use this one bad use case to, to break down an entire industry. I firmly believe that if people are watching that and they're not educated and they're not coming back and listening to my show or to other shows where you're kind of giving people an entire picture, you have to remember this was the one bad execution. Not, not, not the one, but this is one of very few bad executions. But ultimately, there's so many good examples and so many great things that have happened from it that if we only show and highlight and spend all of our documentary money on the bad, what does that do for any of us? And maybe, yes, it makes more people want to sign up for email marketing or makes more people scared of online. But guess what? Digital is coming. Influencer marketing isn't going away. Every business is in the business of trust. And in today's day and world, we have to, we have to, we have to make sure that we're providing a holistic view that helps us learn from something because even in that documentary and and yes, most documentaries shouldn't have a straight opinion. Hulu documentary was way more opinionated than Netflix. I think the Netflix one through the real film and the, the, uh, emails that they had access to allowed you to get a little bit better understanding of the event itself. Um, It was, of course, a little bit slated to make the agency look good, a little bit slated to make the event team look good, but you, you can kind of see through that. The Hulu one came across as very, um, you know, they were trying to put on a show. They are trying to make almost make fun of the entire thing while also, um, you know, shifting blame towards, you know, even the agencies. They are blaming the agencies. They are blaming the influencers. They are blaming stupid people on social media. And if we, if we continue to blame and, and point fingers like that in an us versus them mentality, I believe we will never move forward. And so I'm going to give you my final thoughts on this whole thing. Uh, I'm going to reference this again. I'm, I, I even might build a keynote around um, this, just this, this as a use case. I gave you guys lots of business examples, and, I, and I've said this multiple times. I, I don't believe in what Billy McFarland did. I think he's a con man. I cannot stand 
when scam artists and people that are faking it become successful. It happens every single day. There are people selling online courses. There are people selling books. There are people selling get rich schemes every single day in America and the world today. Here's what I want. I want to educate consumers. I want to educate the people on making, helping us be smarter with our decisions so we don't give them the power. It gives us no value to keep bashing the scam artists if we're not giving people ideas and best practices and ways to not allow ourselves to be scammed. And hopefully that's what you guys got from this. I hope we can start educating consumers on ways to see through things and ways to do our own investigation. If you've bought something and it wasn't what it was appeared to be, I believe it's up to us as the consumers to do more research. I, I, I just bought a brand new vehicle, you know, and I researched the vehicle for almost 30 days and I, and I, I called different vehicles. I read different forums. I was on Reddit. I was, I was really diving deep and I think it's up to us. But the, the bigger picture of this is with every failed opportunity, there are ways that we can find lessons in there, but there's also ways that we can highlight the good. And I love seeing the social good. I love that people are raising money for those that got screwed out of the money. Um, I hope Billy uh, Billy Madison, I said, Billy McFarland pays for it. But I also think in this world where we're building trust and the value of trust, there are layers in this story, in this strategy that are amazing lessons that every brand, every business, even myself, I can tell you there's a couple of things that I'm going to be doing over the next couple of months that I'm going to take from lessons directly from this, this fire festival and I'm going to take them and implement them in my business. I'm going to start to be a little bit more strategic and understand a couple of these things and I think that's the missing piece. Every blog that I wrote, every article, every people that were bashing, it seemed to be about blaming people. It seemed about be about making fun of people. It seemed to be a lot about, um, you know, oh my goodness, millennial con man, millennials can fall into anything. And I believe in the world we're living in today, yes, social media will never stop bad people from doing bad things. Social media will never stop, um, evil people from using it for bad, but I believe it has so much good and there's the ability to do great things. And if you're a brand or a business that is creating an experience and you're not a con person and you're actually delivering on what you're talking about, your opportunity to succeed in 2019 and beyond is here today. It is powerful. It is living proof. And I believe everything I talked about this in this very long episode can be implemented in your business today. And it is something that we should all learn from we should be excited about and i'm sorry for those that got scammed but i'm very thankful that that social media allowed us to get a peek behind the curtains and we are able to learn from this and as we grow we will be better as consumers we will be better marketers we'll be better understand the power of influencer marketing but ultimately we should think about it as something good that came out of this because it's it's proof is out there the way that if you listen to all my shows, the things that I'm preaching, understanding millennials, understanding consumer behavior, putting yourself in the shoes of your consumer, creating influencer content, building rapport, thinking about trust, stop selling your products, start selling your experiences. All of them are living proof in this example. I just wish Billy, had, Billy and their team had given uh, hired the right people 18 months out and actually executed on this festival on the back end because it would have been, been highlighted today as one of the greatest 
greatest examples of influencer marketing and social media ever. Unfortunately, he became a con at the end and it didn't go off on the, on the back end like it should have. So thank you guys so much for tuning in for this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, just send me a tweet at iSocialFans. Uh, let me know you're listening to the Fire uh, Festival episode. Let me know your thoughts on this topic. Let me know your thoughts on um, you know what things you learn from, maybe what things you disagree with me on. Uh, but one thing I will, I will ask you to do is I don't want you to shame anyone. I don't want you to point fingers um, at people. I think for this uh, lesson for me, it's about what can we learn from it? What can we take from it? What good can we take from it? What bad can we take from it? And also, how can we be better um, as document, you know, creating documentaries? How can we be better as storytellers at being less jaded, less slanted, stop putting a, a, uh, a spin on something and start presenting something in a way that allows your audience to, uh, to truly understand something? The Netflix documentary, I think, did a better job. It didn't do a, an amazing job. The Hulu documentary, I think, did a horrible job at doing that. But I also think they both kind of allowed us into a window into this story that allowed me to do this, uh, do this, uh, this, uh, podcast episode. So thank you everybody for tuning in to FOMO fans episode 91. My name is Brian Fanzo. As always, remember go above and beyond to show people you care. If you care about people before you realize, before they realize that you, they need you to care about them. Life can lead to some amazing, powerful collaborations and together we can do some great things together. My name is Brian Fanzo. Cheers, my friends.